From the AMF Podcast Studios, you're listening to the Health and Safety Law Report. I'm Doug Jenks. And I'm Abby White. So you might recall in our last episode titled Mashed Potatoes, Not Fingers, Abby and I spoke about a recent lockout tagout allegation up at Bob Evans Farms. And one of the things that we sort of concluded at the end of that episode was that when we see lockout tagout failures, or at least allegations of such failures, we often see that the employers have discipline and safety programs uh, and, and safety rules regarding the control of hazardous energy, also known as lockout tagout, but that for whatever reason, the employee has violated that safety training or violated that rule. And sometimes it's because the employer is not doing a very good job of enforcing the rule or they haven't been consistent. And what that, what that means is when that happens is that the, it makes it difficult for the employer to assert the defense of unpreventable employee misconduct. Uh, and so we thought that today we would talk a little bit about that defense because it is one of the uh, more powerful defenses for employers when facing OSHA citations. And the the single most important thing that we tell employers, well, my, maybe not, I exaggerate. There are many important things. They are everything all the single- Everything we say is important, Doug. What's Come that? On. So everything we say is important. It is, thank you so much. <laughs> But, uh, but you got to start with a good safety enforcement program. If an employer does not start with a good safety enforcement program, then you're never going to be able to, one, protect your employees from being injured, and two, uh, keep yourself from being cited by OSHA, and three, you wouldn't be able to assert the unpreventable employee misconduct um, defense. So that's, that's number one. Employers, you've got to have a safety program, and then you have to, I guess, as a caveat to that, it's got to be something that is applied consistently to all of your employees, right? And you can't just enforce it against the employees you don't like, or you cannot just enforce it on you know, some days or on some projects and not others, because if you are not enforcing it consistently, and I see this happen again and again, then employees don't take it seriously. People end up getting hurt. And uh, also the, the employees against whom you do enforce your safety rules think that you're discriminating against them in some way if you are not enforcing it against, uh, against every, everybody. So in terms of the basic bottom line advice I give uh, employers, about how to have an effective safety program. First and foremost, they need to make sure that they have a safety program with uh, clear and definitive requirements that are easily understood by your employees and that you effectively communicate to them through training. And this is gonna be through things like weekly toolbox talks, um, safety stand downs, um, and just periodic training. You really cannot do too much safety training as far as I'm concerned. Make sure that your employees understand all of these safety rules. You need to test them on the safety rules. And then you need to enforce your safety program consistently. And I would also say um, uh, strictly as, as well. 
And if you're doing those things, you're moving in the right direction in terms of keeping your employees safe, avoiding OSHA violations or citations. Uh, and then that would also help you uh, assert the unpreventable employee misconduct defense. The unpreventable employee misconduct defense, but Doug has basically outlined three of the things that you need to show. First, that you've got the safety program. Second, that you've communicated your safety rules to employees through training. The third is that you need to show that you discipline employees when they violate your safety rules. And that, that discipline needs to be progressive discipline. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's discipline that's issued in a series of steps for and to employees who violate your safety rules. So typically the four steps are a verbal reprimand, which you, you do document, but it's a verbal reprimand uh, followed by a written warning, followed by suspension, followed by termination. And so that's your just your regular employees. If you're dealing with an employee who is responsible for enforcing safety in the workplace, like a supervisor or a manager, it needs to be a three-step program. So that would be, you skip the verbal warning, do a written warning, a suspension, and a termination. And so, again, you have to document each step of the way what you're doing. But if you can show OSHA that you are looking for safety violations, correcting them when you find them, and issuing discipline, then you will be able to raise that unpreventable employee misconduct defense. And basically that's just a fancy way of saying, look, I can't be a babysitter. I can't be on site with my employees all the time, watching to make sure they follow all my rules and do everything exactly correctly. I need to rely on them at some point to follow my rules and to you know, do what they've been trained to do. Um, and if they don't, and that's a violation of, of an OSHA standard, then that's, this defense would be available to you. What advice do you give employers about the term for that four, three or four step discipline process? Like how, how long before you get to termination? So I recommend that employers give everybody a clean slate at the beginning of every year. And you can make that a calendar year. Um, it's probably easier to keep track of that way as opposed to doing it on a rolling basis. Um, but everybody starts fresh with a clean slate on January 1. And let's say, Doug, uh, you've got an employee who you find him working without his, his hard hat on. You go to the job site, give him a verbal reprimand, document your verbal reprimand so that you know you've issued step one to him. And you have to have some way of tracking this too. I mean, it can be as simple as an Excel spreadsheet, but you have to have some way of tracking this. And let's say a couple months later, you go out and you find the same guy. And again, he's uh, working without his hard hat on. And this time you're going to actually write him up for it. You're not just going to issue a verbal because you've already talked to him about this problem. So you write him up. And let's say maybe now it's July. You go back out to a job site and now this guy is working without fall protection. He's working on a roof without fall protection. Now you're going to suspend him because this is his third offense within a year. Okay. And the suspension needs to be ideally uh, at least two days without pay. And you should probably also do some retraining at this point, if you haven't already, uh, before you let him come back to work. So that's a suspension, but it's July, right? And if you don't catch him committing any type of safety infraction between July and December, you don't have to fire him. The following year, he can come back and start with a clean slate and start back at step one again. So I think 
you know, if no doubt anyone listening to this podcast who is an employer is probably sitting there going, well, I'm not going to fire anybody right now. I can't get anybody to come to work in the first place. This isn't something um, that would require you to immediately terminate your entire labor force. You would just start with the verbal and then progress through the steps. Um, and honestly, I, I, you know, if they start off with a clean slate at the beginning of each year, I don't think you're actually going to have to terminate that many people, hopefully none of them. Hopefully, if they see that you're taking this seriously, um, they'll clean up their act before you reach that step. So what you're talking about is concerns that employers cannot find qualified employees. And if they've got people who know how to do the job and know how to do the work, they're reluctant to discipline them on a path towards termination. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a real problem. Employers cannot find enough people to work. So the last thing they want to do is set someone on a path, like you said, toward termination, especially if it's one of their more valued employees, longtime employees, maybe they're a little complacent, maybe they're a little set lax in the safety department, but they have a lot of knowledge and they're very reliable and they're very uh, valuable to the company and they show up, you know, they show up for work and a lot of people aren't right now. Right. Right. So I think employers might be reluctant um, to start with progressive discipline, but you know, the flip side of that coin is there are four steps. And if you make the suspension, especially the third step, if you make that uncomfortable enough for the employee, uh, I think they're very unlikely to reach the termination step. I had one employer tell me once I was speaking about drug testing and I was talking about the importance of testing for marijuana and how it's dangerous if your employees are high and all that, especially if they're like on roofs and so on. And this one guy says to me, he's like, yeah, that's great. I'm going to drug test these people. And then I'm going to end up having to fire everybody because everybody is smoking yeah. marijuana. You got to do what you have to do to make sure that everybody is safe and that you're following the OSHA standards. Also, I think if you end up terminating even just one employee, depending on the size of your workforce, but if you end up terminating just one person, other folks are going to take notice of that and realize that you're serious. And, you know, the more you let them get away with safety violations, the more they're going to do it. So, I mean, it's, you know, I don't think it would take much to send a message to other people that, that you're serious about safety. So one problem that employers have uh, expressed to me before is that they give a lot of verbal warnings and they don't write it down. They don't have any record of it. Right. So when I, when they're faced with an OSHA citation and they say, I trained this guy to, to do it correctly and to do it safely. And he says, you know, I've got a really great training program. And then I tell him, I say, okay, well, let's assert the unpreventable employee misconduct defense. It's actually an affirmative defense. And so that means we have to prove it. We have the burden of proof to prove that we are um, training our employees. We've met those elements that, that, you, that you met. And so we need to prove to OSHA that we're actually enforcing our safety program. He's like, okay, absolutely. Um, and I say, go to your, your files and show me your documentation that you are um, enforcing your safety program. And then they, he tells me, well, it's mostly done verbally. Like that's yeah. not going to cut it. So the, the employers that I have seen effectively assert this defense keep very good records. And I think you mentioned a spreadsheet 
the, the best employers have usually like a really kick-ass Excel spreadsheet that's got all of these records on it and they can just print it out or they can, you know, send it to OSHA in, in a heartbeat. And if you're doing that, then you're going to be uh, much farther along in, um, in asserting that defense. Yeah, and it helps you keep track of, you know, who's in what step, too. If you don't document it, how do you know, you know, if that person's ever violated a safety rule? before if you've got it it's most people don't like to be in the business of making documents but here you really have to yeah that's a very good point and there's even um software programs that employers can buy or subscribe to i guess you don't buy software so much anymore um and that will help you keep track of all of that and it will prepare or it'll spit out um uh, reports for you if you want them and if you need to um, produce them in some way. Yeah. Another problem I see is when employers include non-safety related offenses. So, you know, like going back to my example of the guy that didn't have his hard hat on. Sometimes I see, you know, an employer does keep records of discipline, but they'll say, okay, Joe didn't wear his hard hat on Tuesday. And then a month later, he shows up for work late, so he gets written up for tardiness, and they put him in step two for tardiness. Oh, then, like that's that's not that's an HR issue. That's a separate. This has to be a separate um, disciplinary program just for safety related infractions. You can't include the the other HR issues in this progressive discipline. That's a really good point. So, what if they have a progressive discipline program for other kinds of issues? You're saying you would want two separate tracks. Yes. Whichever yeah. one gets them determination quicker then that one wins, I guess. Of course you don't I want guess. to terminate anybody, but. Right. Yeah. I tell employers to keep discipline, disciplinary records for five years. Do you, is that what you tell your clients or do you, is it, do you say longer or shorter? What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's a good time frame. I think usually I say seven, but I tend to, you know, be on the more conservative side with record keeping kind of stuff. And honestly, now that you can scan everything and save it digitally or on a cloud, you can keep it indefinitely. So there's really no reason to worry about, um, you know, keeping it indefinitely as long as that employee is around. Yeah, it's not like we're taking up or you shouldn't be taking up file cabinets. There's no reason to take up file cabinets, right? One would hope not. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember when I first doing started doing this work and I was working with a roofing contractor, we were asserting this unpreventable employee misconduct defense. They had a lot of employees, maybe 150 employees. And I said, okay, well, in order for us to do this, we need to show all of our disciplinary records for all of our employees um, over the last, you know, several years, <laughs> they had to go, they had a giant file cabinet. It's like, you know, four or five drawers. They had to go through every single employee's personnel file and look through it and pull out every single disciplinary record and it took them hours and hours and hours to do that. And uh, hopefully, everybody is doing this electronically now, or you should be doing it electronically just on a, at least on a, on a spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds unpleasant to go through all those. Yeah. They were not happy with me. I was trying to help them. I kept telling them I'm here to help you. 
So, all right. Well, what else do we need to, um, what, what other really important advice do we need to uh, impart in terms of asserting the unpreventable employee misconduct defense? Just make another comment. I mean, you've already made the point that it needs to be, con your safety program needs to be consistently enforced. Um, I, too often I see employers enforcing their safety program only after there's been some type of accident or incident. Um, and really it should be enforced anytime you do a, you know, a job site audit or inspection or your, you know, foreman on site observes somebody not following the rules. It shouldn't just be something that you consider after there's been an accident and you're trying to figure out what went wrong and you conclude, oh, Joe didn't follow this safety rule and that's why this accident happened. We're going to discipline him. And that, you know, that ends up turning into a situation where you're only issuing discipline when there's been an injury and then that looks bad. So it, consistency is key um, in making sure that you're constantly, um, you know, issuing discipline when you discover these safety infractions. Um, and then the other thing I tend to see is sometimes employers only want to discipline like their bad employees and not their good employees, not their valuable employees. And I, I get it, but also not a good idea. Yeah, because the, the people against whom you enforce these rules will think that you're picking on them and that you are retaliating against them or discriminating against them in some way. And that just causes all kinds of problems. Right. I think frequency is also another key to this. I recently met with the safety director of an of a con, of a, uh, industrial contractor, we'll call them. They have what I regard as the best safety program uh, I think I've, I've seen, at least of, of my clients. And this guy goes and walks the job site. They're, they have multiple job sites. And he will travel from job site to job site multiple times a day and walks the job site and just does nothing but look for safety infractions. Um, wow. And that's all, that's all he does. And then he, he issues discipline and everybody hates this guy because yeah. he's sort of like, you know, the, the safety cop that comes around, but they have a great safety program and they, um, they by and large avoid accidents and, uh, and injuries and, and OSHA citations because this guy is always enforcing um, the safety rules. All right. What do you think, Abby? Anything else? I don't think so. I think we've covered it. How about you? No, I think that's good. That's a good intro primer, which is pretty much what we do on the health and safety law report, because we're, we're not here to give you legal advice. We are just speaking from our experiences um, as attorneys. But, um, you know, remember, as always, we are attorneys, but we're not your attorneys. At least not while we're on this podcast. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Bye.